the FT. Hello, and welcome to the Best of the FT podcast, bringing together seven days of news and comment from the Financial Times. And a special welcome to all those on public transport who are only listening to us because the person sitting next to them has their headphones turned up too loudly. Anyway, this week, the right has surged to power in Poland. The centre-right might be about to do the same in Argentina, but Britain's centre-right government has hit its first big bump, losing a vote on tax credits. We'll be discussing all that on today's programme. But first, the Financial Times spends a lot of time talking about mergers and acquisitions, big billion-dollar deals in which one company swallows up another and then tries to find cost savings to justify it. But are these big deals really very boring? A post on BuzzFeed this week said, yes, giant corporate mergers are incredibly boring. I'm joined by Arash Masoodi, our M&A correspondent, whose job it is to report on these mega deals. Arash, is BuzzFeed right? Are we wasting our time on things that no one really cares about? Absolutely not. And while that BuzzFeed piece was incredibly funny and used fantastic graphics, there is a very real reason why we cover mergers and acquisitions. And fundamentally, it's because it gives us a pulse of not only how some of the most influential companies in the world are behaving, but also it gives us insight into the global economy. This week, there was news that Hyatt, the hotel chain which owns the Park Hyatt and several of brands with the Hyatt name, is in advance talks to buy Starwood Hotels, which owns the W Sheraton St. Regis. It would be potentially a $15 billion transaction with a premium. But what's interesting there is it's not just a deal about consolidation of hotel chains. It also tells you problems that Starwood has faced in Asia, for instance, where it's heavily exposed to emerging markets and to currency weakness, which have deteriorated its profits. There's been management change. And then there's the actual deal, which is a consolidation, which could have impact on consumers. Okay, bankers love these deals. Lawyers, accountants, they all get involved. They all get very hefty fees. Consumers, I guess, aren't aware so often. So, I mean, if you're a, a customer of Heinz or of Kraft, you're not really aware of Warren Buffett's investment and you're not aware when ownership changes. So I wonder why, I wonder whether the reason that BuzzFeed can say they're incredibly boring is because consumers don't care fundamentally. Well, if consumers don't care, that's probably a bad sign because if prices are going up, if the companies you buy things from have purchasing power, if the regulators aren't holding companies accountable for consolidating an industry, which then makes your life worse off, then obviously that is something consumers should be caring about. And separately, the other reason why we follow them so closely is this point I mentioned, which is it gives us insight into the health of the global economy. And a lot of the deals we're seeing now are driven, in fact, because the world's biggest companies aren't growing. And so in search of growth, in desperate search of any way to add to their sales or to their bottom line, they're consolidating, potentially raising costs on consumers and shedding lots of jobs, which have real impacts on the global economy. Okay, final reason not to be interested in these deals. Aren't we just indulging the egos of chief executives who love to buy stuff? They love to make their company even bigger. And so if we get excited about deals, what we're really doing is fanning the flames of their ego. Well, I would very much disagree with that because I think the most interesting thing is to follow exactly what they're doing and how big their bank accounts are getting. And I think that's super important to, to sort of keeping uh, power accountable. Okay, Arash, you've more or less defended your own job. Thanks very much for joining us. Moving now from those at the top of the pay scale to those at the bottom. This week in the UK, the House of Lords, Britain's second chamber, blocked the government's attempts to cut tax credits. Janan Ganesh, our political commentator, spoke to FT editor Lionel Barber about the move. George Osborne wanted to cut tax credits. These are welfare benefits for people in work but not earning a lot of money, based roughly on the earned income tax credits that Bill Clinton introduced a generation ago. And the House of Lords, the second chamber, said, actually, this is going to penalise too many people, at the very least delay it, 
and come up with some transitional arrangements to compensate these uh, low-paid workers. George Osborne says that's constitutionally problematic. The House of Lords is usually not meant to uh, conflict with the government on a financial matter like this, especially so soon after an election. But really, the policy has been controversial for many weeks, and this has been coming for a long time. There's a lot at stake here for the government, which had hoped to save £4.5 billion with the changes. And in response, the government has said that it may well appoint many more peers to the House of Lords to allow it to get the policy through. There have been idle threats about the Tories stuffing the Lords with hundreds of new peers to get their way. I can't believe they do that. To get the majority, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's a rich history in Britain of Prime Ministers stuffing the Lords to get their way. Uh, Lloyd George did it at the best part of 100 years ago. It's so provocative. It would only make the the Lords an even more comical institution than it is now. So where does George Osborne, who everyone assumes will be the Tory party leader after David Cameron steps down, go now? What he's going to do is find a way of compensating these workers before November 25th. That's the next big date is the spending review where he goes before Parliament. Uh, It's very technically and fiscally difficult to do it, but I think he'll find some way. I think it has bruised him quite a lot, actually. After three or four years' time, will we remember it? Probably not. But this Tory leadership race is sort of almost active day to day, and it's a big setback compared to where he was in the summer. Now to Poland, where at the weekend, voters returned the most right-wing parliament in Europe. The opposition Law and Justice Party swept to power, ousting the previous government which had presided over many years of a steady economy. Tony Barber, our Europe editor, explains why a good economic performance wasn't good enough for many voters. It is true that the economic record of the previous government was pretty impressive. However, there were two ways in which that didn't stop people from voting for change. One is that the benefits of of economic progress were not equally shared among the population. So a lot of people who lived outside the big cities where you see most change in Poland didn't feel they were getting enough out of this progress. And then secondly, a, a more subtle point, Poles who were doing well in recent times and who have begun to compare themselves more easily with their neighbours to the West, particularly Germans, I believe they felt they should be doing even better. So who have voters chosen instead? Here's Henry Foy, our man in Warsaw, on the new governing party's social conservatism. It's strongly against things such as gay marriage, uh, reproductive rights, uh, things like IVF and um, liberal abortion policies, even though Poland has one of the most restrictive abortion programs in the European Union. It's also quite uh, Eurosceptic. It's much more pro-US and pro-NATO than Brussels. And it's been very, very outspoken on the topic of migrants. Of course, this migrant refugee crisis that Europe's been grappling with over this summer. Mr. Jarosław Kaczynski, the leader of Law and Justice, made some pretty outspoken comments regarding migrants and the possibility that they could bring diseases and parasites to Europe and really tapped into this fear in Poland, this fear of the outsider, if you like, of heightened immigration. Unlike the UK, however, Poland isn't going to turn its back on the EU. Here's Tony Barber again. Against all this, though, one has to keep in mind that Poland is a beneficiary from EU regional aid and agricultural subsidy funds. And it's that EU money which, more than anything, has really contributed to the modernisation of the Polish economy and infrastructure over the last 10 years. And I don't think law and justice, or for that matter, anybody in Poland would want to see anything that jeopardised that source of modernisation. Argentina, meanwhile, has been a tough place for centre-right politicians, with recent politics dominated by the late Nestor Kirchner 
and his widow Cristina Fernandez de Kirchner. But at the weekend, to the surprise of pollsters across Argentina, the opposition candidate for the presidency, Mauricio Macri, came a close second in the first round of voting. He will now head to a runoff and is some people's favourite to beat Ms. Fernandez's favourite candidate. Benedict Manda, the FT's Southern Cohen correspondent, spoke to Jonathan Wheatley about the election race. More than 60% of the population has voted for a candidate that is offering significant change. And in fact, even the government-backed candidate has stated fairly clearly that he will bring at the very least gradual change. And I don't think there's any doubt in most people's minds that there are very real problems in the economy that need fixing and, uh, and everyone wants that to happen. So I think it's fair to say that people do want change. I suppose it's more a question of how much and how fast. And certainly the government candidate Scioli is going to play up the, the sort of worries that Macri could mean a return to the neoliberal policies of the 90s. Just give us a bit of flavour of the man. What kind of a man is he and what has he actually done in his time as mayor of Buenos Aires that makes people think that he can do something on a national level? Macri comes from a privileged family background. His father is a powerful businessman who owns a construction firm and he quite early on in his life became the president of Boca Juniors, one of Argentina's largest football clubs. He then went on to have a very successful administration of the city of Buenos Aires, which he ran very efficiently. He implemented infrastructure projects that have been successful, such as a metro system and cycle lanes that are very popular. He's been fiscally responsible and in general is is just seen as a competent manager. Uh, Whether or not he can run the country is obviously a, a different matter, but there is much optimism that he can. And here's Mr. Macri's own reaction to the election. We were sure that we were going to go for the second round, but the results were amazing, amazing. The government had been very successful to build the idea that they were invincible, no? We'll find out whether the Peronist party, which has governed Argentina for much of the past decades, is indeed invincible in due course. That's all for this week. Thanks very much for listening. Goodbye. If you enjoyed this podcast, you might enjoy the FT Money Show, the FT's most popular weekly podcast presented by me, Claire Barrett, the editor of FT Money. The Money Show comes out every Wednesday and you can download it at ft.com slash podcasts. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.